0: Good evening, my name is Max Portman and I'm the Membership Secretary for the British Society of Sports Historians and the newest convener of the Sports and Leisure History Seminar Series. Let me start by wishing a warm welcome to all of those who have joined us in the room or via Zoom this evening and for all of those who are listening on the Sporting History Podcast. Tonight's lecture is delivered by Max Farrar of King's College London. His PhD research focuses on the intersection between nationalism and globalization in the region of Catalonia since Spain's return to democracy in 1978. His paper tonight, titled Mesque un club en el mon, which translates from Catalan to English as more than a club in the world, discusses that great bastion of Catalonia FC Barcelona and their role as both a national and global institution during this period. So,
1: from one Max to another, take it away. Is that all good? Okay, great, thank you Max. Um, yes, yeah, so as other Max so nicely put it, um, this paper is one of the newer chapters in my dissertation, um, which focuses broadly on the relationship between nationalism and globalization in the region of Catalonia. Um, Nationalism studies, very broadly speaking, is currently trying to deal with sort of new forms of nationalism in the late 20th and early 21st century. And mine takes a historical approach to understand basically how the Catalan nationalist movement has gotten to where it is today. Um, Throughout my dissertation, I'm playing with a few different dates, but I'm starting with 1978, which is when um, Spain returned to a democracy um, and Catalonia received a degree of autonomy um, and in some sense, this story is bookended by the 2017 independence referendum, which I imagine a lot of you will have seen on the news. Um, approaches to understanding Catalan nationalism are largely, um, largely come out of literature, more focused on political economy. Um, but mine takes a more sort of sociocultural approach to understand how Catalonia and the Catalan nationalist movement are popularly thought of. So my dissertation is organized around several case studies aimed to understand uh, the relationship between Catalonia and these various global processes, as well as Catalonia and various international publics. Um, a few of my other chapters about tourism, higher education, foreign investment, and this chapter takes on um, elite sport um, in the form of FC Barcelona. Um, so many will be familiar with the club's motto que un Club." This motto was conceived under the repression of the Franco administration and is intentionally ambiguous. It was first coined by a club presidential candidate in their 1968 elections, and it's no stretch to say that many interpret it to mean that FC Barcelona is not just a football club but a representative of, if not coterminous, with the nation of Catalonia. This understanding is furthered by claims that, as a member-owned and democratically-run club, Barca represents the voice of the Catalan people. On an institutional level, the club has consistently championed Catalan language and culture while providing a pipeline to bring young Catalan athletes to the global stage. Reputationally, much of the Catalan public identifies with FC Barcelona as the region's unofficial national team, even if this identification has been negotiated over time. And there's a very interesting um, study on that that I can point you to if anyone's interested in it. Um, in recent decades, the club has evolved from a local cultural symbol to a global super club, international humanitarian organization, and one of the most recognizable brands on the planet. Accordingly, we should take club president Joan Laporta at his word when he claimed in 2004 that Barcelona was becoming Mascone Club En el món. My paper explores this shift from Mascon Club to Mascon Club en el món and what it can tell us about the Catalan nationalist movement. While many have claimed that Barça has lost its regional significance in an effort to reach new fans around the world, I contend that, on the contrary, an embrace of globalization as a means to promote Catalan nationalism was the club's explicit strategy. This idea is neatly summed up by Laporta in another speech he gave before the General Assembly of FC Barcelona shareholders in the same year, 2004. Making a country means making ourselves known as Catalans all over the world either playing a game for peace in Northern Ireland or going on a tour of the United States, playing a friendly match in Mexico, going to Korea, Japan, or China, and there making our country and explaining why our captain wears the Catalan flag on his arm and why our fans unite in an indistinct way the flags of Catalonia and Barca." End quote. Laporta's comments here are a synthesis of the two missions undertaken by the club during the 1990s and the 2000s, two missions that many claimed were at odds with one another. The first was to globalize the club's reach and expand into international markets. The second was to retain the club's national significance. As we'll see, it was by globalizing in a certain manner that the club retained its nationalist significance, and only by retaining its nationalist significance could the club effectively globalize. The relationship between FC Barcelona and Catalonia is fairly well-trod scholarly territory. This investigation differs from others in that many of these seek to understand one particular club function or dissect one event in the club's history. Most foreground FC Barcelona as the object of study, while mine is innovative in identifying the club as part of a larger effort at globalizing Catalan nationalism during this period. Moreover, those scholarly interventions that do look at FC FC Barcelona's global presence rarely take a historical perspective. Um, This research draws on a variety of archival and public sources, including club reports, minutes from member and shareholder meetings, club publications, and financial audits. The first section explores several failed initiatives, and in doing so, tries to elucidate the tensions and challenges of the club's dual missions of globalizing and nationalizing. The second explores how the club's commercial expansion during this period was aided by economic and technological globalization at the end of the 20th century. And in the third section, I explore the club's humanitarian arm and its contribution to the dual missions of globalization and nationalization. Finally, in the conclusion, I explain how these activities do not constitute a rupture in FC Barcelona's relationship to Catalan nationalism, or Catalanisme, but rather a continuity and an evolution in the global age. So starting with the failed attempts. During the period from 1992 to 2014, FC Barcelona experimented with various ways of expanding and capitalizing on its international fan base. In the years following the massively successful 1992 Barcelona Olympics, executives at the club, under the leadership of President Josep Nunez, undertook a project of globalization. The shape of this development, however, was not clear from the outset. Throughout this process, Club executives, staff, fans, and the international actors with which they came into contact responded to perceived opportunities and failed endeavors. In 2012, club leaders told members and supporters that, quote, we will always try to maintain a mix between global and local, always. But having said that, we also have to assume that Barca will become more and more global, and this should not scare us, because it is our protection in order to remain free of debt and free of unwanted financing, end quote. This is a realization that coalesced over the previous two decades of club strategy, which often appeared as a careful balancing act and continuously negotiated process of orienting FC Barcelona to the world and the world to FC Barcelona. This process can be characterized as one of fits and starts, with a great deal of experimentation and several abandoned ideas along the way. As we look at the examples of the club's failed, abandoned, curtailed, or forgotten globalizing initiatives, it'll be useful to think about why they did not work. For most of them, there was not a single reason. Rather, it was a combination of tensions they could not resolve, negotiations they could not win, decisions that would invite too much scorn, or a lack of benefit either to the globalizing or the nationalizing missions. The first example I consider is one of the oldest institutions at Barcelona, the peñas, or the fan clubs. These are first referenced um, in club literature in 1919. Um, The fan clubs host regular social, sporting, and volunteering events, and indeed play a part in the club's internal democracy. Many celebrate and lobby for Catalan culture as well. For example, in 2004, a Brussels-based peña collaborated with President Joan Laporta and other Catalan institutions to express Catalonia's support for the EU. When Núñez took over the presidency, Um, In 1978, there were 96 of these Peñas and they were almost entirely based in Spain. By the end of his presidency in the year 2000, this number stood at 1,545 Peñas, 77 of which were international and a further two which were based not anywhere in the world but online. The rapid and haphazard spread of the Peñas, however, led club leaders to reorganize this network in 2005, cutting Peña numbers by almost a third and decreasing international clubs to only 36. This represents a significant change. The growth of Peñas, which for decades was, view, was viewed as a key to the club's social health, would continue almost unchecked for the following two de- decades before being significantly reduced. The benefits of the Peñas were was clear. Or were clear. They brought awareness, loyalty, and a social liveliness to the club, but they also brought very little in the way of direct income. Thus, while their continued existence remained of crucial importance, they were evidently not thought of as a promising way to globalize the club as they took on more energy to to manage. Growth among club members, or socies during this period provide perhaps an even more interesting look into the club's relationship with members and fans, particularly the international ones. The importance of the socios to the club can hardly be overstated. For decades, executives and just about everyone at the club consistently referred to the membership body as the essence of the club, which proudly functioned as, a democratic, as democratic and member-owned. For many decades, the soces also formed the club's economic foundation. Through the, 1990s and, through the 1980s and 90s, membership dues constituted the largest single income stream. Unsurprisingly then, in his bid to stabilize Barcelona's finances, um, Nunez encouraged increasing club membership year on year. As the number of socis increased, so did club income. This remained true until the mid-1990s, when other revenue streams became more important than membership dues. Nevertheless, support for increased membership continued under Laporta in the 2000s. In his first year, he instituted El Gran Repta, or the Big Challenge, to increase membership, This drive increasingly targeted international members, and indeed the club proudly announced that an improved international image of the club was proven by the fact that 12% of all new socies from the year 2004 came from abroad. Under Laporte's presidency, membership grew to approach 200,000 members before his successor, Sandra Rossell, stopped the membership drive because he was reportedly worried about the possibility of international members electing a club president from China. Why was the creation and then cancellation of this membership drive significant? Well, it tells a very clear story about how the changing economic imperatives impacted the inclusionary and exclusionary priorities of club membership. In the 1980s and 90s, increased membership was important to the club's economic growth, but as revenue streams changed in the late 90s and 2000s, it became a means by which the club could expand internationally. However, Increased internationalism threatened Barca's social foundation, Catalan constitution, and its associated reputation. The club had not just tried to assimilate international members, but also international sports. FC Barcelona had long been a multi-sport club, boasting competitive teams in track and field, futsal, handball, ice hockey, roller hockey, ice skating, and many, many more. Basketball in particular provided an international profile, exporting future NBA star Paul Gasol in 2001 and even arranging a friendly between Barca's basketball team and Gasol's L.A. Lakers in 2010. However, another failed initiative during the presidency of Joan Gaspard in the early 2000s was a particularly disappointing venture in American football in partnership with the NFL. Though the impulse to partner with a massively profitable NFL to pursue the American market may have been a good one, and was indeed hailed as revolutionary at the time, the FC Barcelona Dragons would collapse after only two seasons, with NFL Europe befalling a similar fate just a few years later. Throughout the 90s and 2000s, FC Barcelona engaged in multiple endeavors to profit from international audience, audiences. While the club struggled to integrate international fans through mechanisms such as the Peñas and Soces for fear that they would play an outside role in club functioning, attempts to incorporate sports with international popularity, such as American football, basketball, or baseball as well, simply did not take hold. As we've seen, the reasons for each of these discarded ideas for economic and social growth were varied, but what remained constant was the awareness from and negotiation by executives amid the tensions between the club's global ambitions and its national roots. In the next section, we'll see how in the midst of these failed undertakings, the club hierarchy were able to pioneer a model of commercial engagement that was able to capture the financial benefit of international supporters while keeping them at a sufficiently appropriate arms length. So, after a good deal of starts and stops in their efforts to globalize their footprint in the 90s and 2000s, FC Barcelona eventually found a way to expand the club's social and economic base while maintaining its Catalan essence. They found success in the mid-2000s with a model that engaged foreign publics not as members, but as customers and consumers. Where sporting and membership expansion failed, a model of media, marketing, and merchandising allowed for Barca's rapid expansion into foreign markets. Relying on branding that emphasized Sorry, that emphasized FC Barcelona's sporting success, authentic connection to the region of Catalonia, and corresponding social and political responsibility, the club expanded overseas. Barca's first television contract came with the creation of TV3, Televisio de Catalunya, which was launched on September 10, 1983, which is just one day before Catalonia's day of national celebration. Catalan Catalan television, despite its profound nationalist significance, could and would not produce the global reach that Barca would strive for in the decades to come. The club would rely on different media outlets for international expansion. The creation of the club website in 1997 greatly expanded their global reach as internet use became more popular across the world. By 2001, 60% of visitors to their website came from outside of Spain, and by 2006, the website was accessible in five different languages. However, the largest source of economic growth did indeed come from television rights. In 1999, Barca's executive signed a deal with Telefonica, owner of Via Digital, to guarantee broadcast income from 2003 to 2008. In 2006, the club hierarchy signed a deal with MediaPro that would bring in over 1 billion euros in broadcast revenue over the next seven years. During these years, the club finances changed so dramatically that they created new categories in their annual budget to differentiate between what they termed typical income, from memberships, subscribers, and ticket sales, from atypical income, which came from TV contracts, advertising, and sponsorships. First reported during the 2001-2002 season, we can see that this new atypical media income came to dominate annual income figures. We can see here that it also became one of the primary drivers of budget growth in the years that followed. For a member-owned and member-run club, this was a momentous shift in the club's economic gravity. No longer did they rely on the dues of members, the vast majority of whom lived in the neighborhoods surrounding the stadium, but rather the revenue from faceless foreign viewers. Club media strategy and operations expanded to include social media in the 2010s, but we can say that this model was firmly recognized as the best way to incorporate international audiences while under the Laporta administration, which ended in 2010, though he is club president again today. Its significance was compounded by the other forms of international development that it made possible. The club's increasingly vast media footprint made possible lucrative marketing deals, in the same year, um, Gaspard signed the ill-fated NFL agreement. He closed two other sponsorship deals with Havas Advertising Sports and Nike, which would have far, a far greater impact on the club. Nike partnered with Barca to market, and merchandise, market merchandise and sell club products all over the world. The first club store was built at the stadium in 1998. Two decades later, Nike had grown this network to include stores in the US, Japan, and China. Overall, by 2017, there were three Barca stores across Barcelona, 15 across the world, over 328 licensed sellers, and 7,000 different products. In another pleasing illustration of Barca's local and global significance, they penned sponsorship deals with both Catalan megabrewer Estrella Dam and international giants Coca-Cola in the year 2002. Catalonia's flagship bank La Caixa, came on board as an official patron the following year. The number of sponsors grew year on year, and by 2014, FC Barcelona had signed, among others, agreements for official tires in Turkey, telecommunications in Indonesia, fitness clubs in Saudi Arabia, and air fresheners in Brazil, just to name a few. The 2000s and early 2010s were indeed a time of profound change for FC Barcelona. Though the club was still owned by its mostly Catalan membership, Many feared that the club would lose its identity and reputation in the whirlwind of media, merchandising, and marketing campaigns that did bring Barca to the world. One might rightfully think that such blatant commercialism and international focus might erode the authentic and local branding that was making the club so much money. Indeed, many fans and commentators at the time raised these exact critiques. However, the club was sure to infuse their international engagement with Catalan significance. For example, the FC Barcelona Museum, pictured here in the middle, consistently ranks as one of Spain's top five top five most visited museums, and it promotes a narrative in its um, in its in the story it tells. Um, it promotes a narrative of Catalonia in Spain's history that situates FC Barcelona as pro Catalan and an anti Spanish bastion for the last one hundred years. In 2022, when FC Barcelona agreed a deal with audio streaming company Spotify to become the club's main sponsor, they included a clause in the contract that demanded that Spotify's website and app be made available in Catalan to its over 550 million users. The club routinely partners with the Catalan government and other regional institutions to promote tourism, local investment, and culture. And perhaps most visibly, every Barcelona kit sold across the world contains the Catalan national flag, the Senera. This here is um, one of their popular third kits, which just is the senyera. In the next section, we will see how the club globalized not just its finances, but also its humanitarian activities in order to reinforce its socially and politically engaged reputation and indeed its status as an ambassador for the region. This involved not just branding for the club and the region of Catalonia, but also in exporting and promotion of cosmopolitan values. The commercialization of the club's international fan base was only part of Barça's global development. At the same time that they were expanding their media presence, signing sponsorship deals, and selling merchandise all over the world, FC Barcelona was conscious to expand its social and humanitarian enterprises as well through the creation of the Fundació Barça. The Fundació served several purposes. Its foundation in 1994 allowed the club to retain its member-owned status. At this time, the Fundacio embodied the club's purported responsibility to the Catalan nation and its people, devoting time and resources to philanthropic endeavors within the region. In the 2000s, however, the Fundacio would go global. This not only allowed the club to maintain its positive international image, but also allowed Catalonia to leverage the club's global footprint and make the case for the region's region's presence on a global stage. These efforts, however, had multiple and shifting motivations. At first, the idea of the Fundacio was introduced as an administrative necessity. In October 1990, um, the Spanish Cortes, their parliament, passed a new sport law aiming to foster equality and fiscal responsibility among Spanish clubs, which implemented rules about public ownership. In accordance with this new law, the new non-profit arm of the Fundacio allowed the club to remain within the law's budgetary constraints and retain the right to public ownership. The Fundació was officially incorpor- incorporated in 1994 with funding from local sponsors. This was both an economic and social victory, as Josep Nunez was, quote, "...convinced that in the success of the foundation lies a very important part of the future of FC Barcelona as one of the most representative entities of all sectors of our society." Making sure that the FC Barcelona will never have to become a public limited company and that therefore it continues to belong to everyone is one of the priority objectives of our management." At the time of its incorporation, the Fundació was thus a mechanism by which to maintain the distinctly Catalan ownership and management of the club. Accordingly, in its early years, its activities were focused mainly on local causes, including partnering with local foundations and companies to promote youth sports and health causes in the region. The Fundacio's international expansion began in 1998 when it partnered with the Red Cross and began coordinating with other major European club foundations. While they maintained their involvement in local causes, they began their work with UNICEF in 2003, and this is where the foundation really takes its international turn. It also established re- establishing partnerships with organizations such as Solidarity with Somalia, the Special Olympics, and Planet Football. It was during this period, with this explicitly international focus, that, quote, the club's foundation became the social identity of the club. Though it began as an administrative and economic imperative, the Fundació quickly came to be spoken about by club leaders as the heart and soul of FC Barcelona. In 2007, Laporta claimed that, quote, during its 107-year history, there are many occasions when FC Barcelona has transcended its sporting aspect and become a social and cultural benchmark. Since 2004, the FC Barcelona Foundation has established itself as the identity of the club responsible for looking after the centuries-old tradition and strengthening it," quote. In doing so, he, w- he invoked an oft-repeated refrain-, refrain about FC Barcelona's moral duty to the Catalan people. The difference being that FC Barcelona was no longer just Mascon Club in-, in Catalonia, but of course, they were now Mascon Club en el Mon. As a global club, FC Barcelona had a global responsibility of care. Humanitarianism has been linked to the promotion of national projects since its growth in the the 19th century. In Barça's case, the Fundacio certainly served several commercial, political, and nationalist ends. Indeed, the Fundacio's international turn provided myriad benefits for both the club and for Catalonia. For FC Barcelona, beyond its original function in maintaining member ownership, the benefits mostly came in the form of positive branding. As noted above, the Fundacio sought to bolster FC Barcelona's brand profile by sponsoring football academies, schools, and welfare and relief campaigns, all the while pairing philanthropic events with the club's international tours. Within Catalonia, the Fundacio maintained its commitments to local causes, which helped to strengthen its traditional image as a positive influence in the region. Moreover, the club could now credibly claim that it was positively representing the region on a global stage in more than just sporting success as the the club promoted their commitment to universal values and Catalan culture, urging supporters both at home and abroad to identify the club and the region as a vehicle of positive social change. In promoting cosmopolitanism and Catalanism, the Fundacio's actions helped benefit the region of Catalonia itself. In one sense, this is a simple case of nation branding. By promoting the club as the region's representatives on the global stage, and then engaging in humanitarian efforts, the Fundacio painted Catalonia in a positive light. This helped distinguish the region in international perception and gave Catalonia's leaders a direct connection to international organizations like the UN and EU through their humanitarian partnerships. This whole process had two effects. First, the Fundacio's efforts allowed Catalonia to mimic state capacities by providing a channel for public diplomacy. Second, this process helped construct the region as a developed power in its own right, able to do good in the world, thus making the case for an international Catalonia. In the mid-90s, FC Barcelona were riding a high, having won four league championships as well as the UEFA Champions League between 1990 and 1994. However, club leaders knew that if their dominance on the pitch were to continue, they would need to secure the club's economic foundation. Indeed, the initial motivation for Barca's globalization was to increase revenue to keep up with wealthier teams in terms of sport. Just as fears about the increasing financialization of clubs began circulating around Barcelona, the Fundació was created as a means to ensure the most fundamentally Catalan aspect of the club, its status as member-owned and run. In the years before and after the turn of the millennium, the club experimented with different initiatives, each trying to maintain the delicate balance between the club's global and nationalist ambitions. Ultimately, a model based on media, marketing, and merchandising allowed FC Barcelona to expand into international markets. While this model produced staggering profits for the club, it threatened to make Barca little more than a brand peddling a Catalan product. The expansion of the Fundació in the latter half of the 2000s secured the club's social legitimacy and truly made Barca Mascon, Club, and El Món. Thus, what we see unfold over this period is a sputtering, confused, and often contradictory process of globalization that culminated in commercial success and moral legitimacy for the club, all of which benefited the Catalan nationalist movement. In short, this process amounts to the establishment of a new type of commercial nationalism bolstered by humanitarian diplomacy. FC Barcelona, an institution rooted in local membership, nationalist symbols, and political history, found ways to stimulate and capitalize upon its global appeal. Fans that support FC Barcelona followed its social media pages, purchased replica kits, watched matches on television or attended in person, became connected to and lent support to the region, whether intentionally or not. As consumption became increasingly tied to identity in the early 21st century, the terms of national belonging changed. Club supporter and state citizen relations were reconfigured as one between brand and consumer. At the same time, the Fundacio offered the club and the region it represented with good PR internationally, simultaneously legitimizing Catalonia as an international actor. One can hardly differentiate between this strategy and others that many today define as sports washing. There is rightful outrage surrounding the glorified PR campaigns undertaken by nations with controversial environmental or human rights records such as Qatar and Saudi Arabia. In these cases, fans of Formula One, Professional Golf, or Newcastle United were inadvertently turned into supporters of less than reputable national projects. In a sense, all of these examples are more than clubs in the world. I suggest that the logic and function behind FC Barcelona's efforts during this period are exactly the same. The difference, however, is that Barcelona relied on a politically redemptive redemptive historical narrative and continued humanitarian efforts to maintain a moral and social legitimacy. During this period, Barca became a medium through through which Catalans and non-Catalans alike could support the region. Indeed, just as it had throughout the 20th century, Barca was a way to assimilate foreign populations, either as immigrants, to or supporters of the region. As Laurent Dubois, Dubois writes of sports, quote, it's not who you are that makes you a fan, it's what you do. And in the case of Catalan FC Barcelona, supporting Barca, purchasing replica kits, speaking Catalan, flying the Senyera, and despising Real Madrid makes you, in a sense, Catalan. If only in that your participation in these activities benefits Catalonia by building social capital and cultural awareness within the region's borders and across the globe. After tracing this history, we can confidently conclude that FC Barcelona's globalization in the decades surrounding the turn of the millennium did not represent an end, a selling out, nor an abandonment of the club's core values. Rather, this move represents a continuation and indeed an expansion, even if it is a change. One very real consequence of the club's globalization is that more people all over the world are familiar with the club's nationalist history, Catalonia's national symbols, and the region's unique culture and politics that the club tirelessly promotes to its fans. Its function today um, in a global marketplace of products, identities, and ideas is as an ambassador for Catalonia's global brand. This raises all manner of questions about the value, function, and strength of these thinner commercial identities. But what we can say for certain, however, is that FC Barcelona continues to mediate Catalanisme not just at home, but all over the world. Thank you.